0: Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist whose passion is to help people see the power of the mind to change your brain and find their purpose in life. Her new must read book is titled Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, and her message of hope and optimism with regards to how we manage our mind is needed more than ever given the mental health crisis we're facing. It's an honor to have her back on the show. Caroline, welcome back. So great to see you and congrats on a must read, very important book for 2021, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. Congratulations. (laughs)
1: Thank you, Jason. It's so good to be back with you. And yeah, we we definitely do need to clean up our mental mess.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we do. So let's start there. Pre-pandemic, we had a mental mess. And I think we'd all agree, it's a lot worse. And so the big question, how how do we begin to clean up the mental mess? We're in a serious mental health epidemic. And it's sad, it's overwhelming, yet we have to deal with it. We need to come out of it.
1: Absolutely. Well, that's a great place to start. And when I wrote this book, Jason, it was actually prior to COVID. COVID hadn't even hit the scene yet. I was doing my last lot of research trials and sort of the data analyses and writing up the, the documents. And then COVID hit. So, But just prior to COVID hitting, we were already in such a mess, which I actually put a chapter on that in the book about how we, in this, we were in this era already prior COVID. We were already a big mess with um, people dying 8 to 25 years younger from preventable lifestyle diseases. And that comes from the, the information era and technology and processed food and just the, our, our whole lifestyles have changed. Even though technology and medicine has advanced, our lifestyles had become one of hurry, hurry, Eat things fast, not take time to think deeply, Um, then the whole biological approach and neurobiological approach to mental health, removing this person's narrative, and all that kind of combined Put us, set us up for four. It really did, and then we see people are dying younger. Then COVID hits and global pandemic and all the rest of it, and then so we have this major global adverse circumstance, and it already we weakened as a global society. And then now we've got this this additional thing. So we were really hit rock bottom, and that is very scary. It's the responses that we're seeing are what I would call normal responses to a tremendously adverse circumstance under the conditions that I've just laid out prior COVID and now uh, current COVID and then sort of going through this era. So we're responding with depression, anxiety, frustration, increased suicide, et cetera, et cetera, because we are already badly off and now it's made it worse. But when you hit rock bottom, there is a positive side to this. You can only go up. And that's where I see mental health making a major shift. And so when I wrote this book, I didn't, as I said, know that COVID was going to hit, but I knew where we were, the, the era we were in and really felt we had to address this. And I believe that the way we can start addressing the upswing, and it's going to take years, obviously, is a radical new approach. And it's not even that new. It's basically ancient approach back to dealing with how to be a human. And I don't want us to – I think we've got to reach an era where we stop seeing – a battle, battling with our mind as an illness but start seeing it as being human in difficult circumstances and us responding on a continuum. So instead of seeing anxiety and depression as a scary illness to suppress like a, a heart diagnosis or a cardiovascular issue or an immune system where you're going to diagnose and you're going to give the medication to control it and hopefully reverse it, we've got to stop treating anxiety and depression and those kind of things like that because they're not its. They are responsible Responses to uh, to things that are going on in your life, so they're symptoms of an underlying cause, and we all know at the moment pretty much what a lot of those causes are. It's the grief, it's the loss of this, it's the uncertainty, it's the complete shift of which we don't like as humans. So we know that. So we need to globally address this whole process. So when I say we, I'm talking and you, and I'm talking about us. What is if we're talking about what is that you, what is we, what is I, when you say we've got to address, we've got to change, we've got to clean up our mental mess, what does that really mean? So in my work over 38 years, I've tried to address what does it mean when we say help someone with trauma, help someone get through a mental mess, help someone deal with COVID pandemic mental health issues. It means that we've got to deal with who we are as a person, which is our mind. We've got to understand mind. And this is one area, Jason, of research and science and I've had this discussion before. It's sort of similar discussion before, where in science, the concept of consciousness is considered the hard question, but and it's been relegated to the philosophers. And it's also been the current sort of model of science, which is not a bad model. It's always good in everything. But the current model, it's seen as well. We can't touch it and feel it and see it and hear it. So therefore, we'll. It's one of those things that that it's got. It's kind of promissory science. We'll deal with it later. Let's deal with what we can see and the brain we can see and we understanding more about the brain. So let's find everything inside the brain and say that the brain did it, but that's not serving humanity. It's not working. It hasn't worked. That's been the philosophy for 50 years. It hasn't worked. And it's added to the mental mess that we're in. So I'm saying that we need to reverse this, keep researching the brain because we need to understand that I'm I'm a neuroscientist. So yes, but see the brain as a responder, not as a generator, see the brain and the body collectively as a responder a very sophisticated responder but it doesn't generate it doesn't generate um, thoughts it doesn't generate energy because if you did your body's going to do nothing I mean that's the most simple way of thinking about it so what's the difference between you and I that are alive and if I had a dead body in here which I don't (laughs) but a dead body would disintegrate so it's the uh, the fact that you're alive and what is that Aliveness. Well, you are able. You and I are able to converse. We are able to think about each other's responses and make and have feelings and make choices about the next part of the conversation. And and as our, as the listeners are listening, they're using the they're doing the same thing. And all of this is mind. We are using our mind to process what we are hearing, seeing, feeling twenty four seven. And so, if we can understand mind, which has been my pursuit for thirty eight years, which is the most obvious question of science, then we can start saying, okay, well, if this is what is driving all these things that we do and how we respond and how we suicide and depression and happiness and whatever everything, diet, exercise, everything we do as a human, then if we can understand it, the next question is, can we manage it? Is there a way of, of controlling it? And neuroscience shows us very clearly, and then, and especially mind body, when you when you bring in sort of mind body integrative medicine and that kind of approach, you see that, okay, well, the brain's always changing. And we, from the mid-90s, we accepted that. I did some of the first neuroplasticity research in, in my particular field in the 80s. I was told it was ridiculous. Your brain couldn't change. And I showed with people with traumatic brain injury, you could. So now we know that the brain can change. What we also know now is that the brain changes all the time. It's never the same. It's never, ever the same. You, you are constantly in a state of flux, which means that if my brain is changing and I'm alive, what is causing the change? Me. What is me? Mind. And and the complexity of me as being a human, my unique mind, you being different to me. So if, if I can understand that my mind is this – and this is how I can control it, so it's kind of mind controlling mind, then I can also direct the changes in the brain. Because the brain controls the body instantaneously as we change brain, we change DNA. Every cell of the body, 37 to 100 trillion cells. The logical conclusion is let's learn how to understand mind so that we can direct neuroplasticity. That's collectively mind management. And let's apply that to the big stuff like traumas and global pandemics. And let's apply that to the daily stuff about just being alive, Appearance. We were just talking about you with your one and your four-year-old and me with my four big ones and that's all still requires mind so it's the, how do we deal with the day-to-day so there's kind of the big picture of if we human we may see our minds messy. let's try and clean it up
0: well there's so much to unpack there and i'll start with your comment about hitting rock bottom i hope it's rock bottom one of the scariest statistics i, I still can't Get out of my head is the, the number over the summer, where the CDC reported that almost a quarter of 18 to 24 year olds, almost a quarter, like 24 percent, I want to say, of 18 to 24 year olds considered suicide over the summer, which is just
1: her- horrific. Horrific,
0: and hopefully that's yeah. hopefully that that's it. We hit bottom, uh, and so with that said, I'll, I'll move on. Rock bottom, knock on wood. Y- you talk a lot about mind management, so let's go there next you have in the book you talk about this i, I love this and it, it i think it's easier said than done for many people but i think the concept is very appealing and that is you either manage your mind or your mind manages you and so I, we all love the sound of that more challenging for some people than others how do we get there and I, the way i think about you know we're all unique human beings some people have superpowers with regards to mind management. Some people don't. And so, how do you think about the spectrum, the scale, and like working on that for someone who's maybe eighty percent there versus someone who's maybe twenty percent there? And, and and how do we become more effective at, at managing our mind?
1: Well, that's a brilliant question as well because, the, and the answer is actually incredibly hopeful. And I say hopeful, and hope is an incredibly important word and because a lot of the, and then I'm just going to, as I answer, i just going to flip to the suicide issue and the increase in suicide. When people, from the work I've done and with people who, we just had an extended family member who tried to commit suicide, and I actually did a podcast on it. And I mean, so firsthand experience, and then also working for years in with in, in people's mental health, lack of hope is one of the biggest things. When people feel they don't have hope, and that's you get the it's called Deaths of despair, literally, that we're in that this era at the moment. We've got to look at why don't people feel hope. And if I do from the research I've done, and not just me, there's a whole lot of us scientists in this in this sort of realm. What we're seeing is that lack of hope is linked back hugely to, who am I as a human? What am I doing here? What is the purpose? Okay, so that's the big question of, it's not a new question, it's the philosopher's question of old. You know, It's the going back to the know thyself situation and accepting thyself and being able to be accepted in community. And we've created such a thing over the last, 40 years of what it's supposed to look like to be human. Such an externalized view that we've really forgot about the internal. Everything's become about the physical. And we've really forgot about, and this is where the wellness movement is fantastic because it's really trying to get people to focus back on who am I and what I that big question, know thyself. So having said that, know thyself requires mind management, getting hope back, getting so that you actually can manage that despair requires understanding why I feel like that in the first place. So someone who is feeling so suicidal, and I'm going to answer this, I'm answering the question, I'm just giving sort of linking it to two points, is that when you're feeling suicidal, there's thinking, feeling, and choosing involved around that thought. So what is? That? So in other words, there's mind involved in that thought. And so what is mind? Mind is how we think, how we feel, and how we choose. Those three words encapsulate what drives us as human. It's a force that is so strong that's what's keeping the body alive. Okay, so it's the mind. So when you think you will, and you're always thinking, you will feel. When you think and feel, you will choose. So if we can keep those three factors in mind, when we talk about mind management, we're talking about managing those three. And so that kind of implies that, well, if I'm managing my thinking, feeling and choosing what's doing the managing, what's the me – that's also your mind. So what we see from neuroscience and from work in like electromagnetics, epigenetics, neurophysiology, all these fields which are really integrating a lot, we're seeing that we are wired for love. And I'm quoting a Nobel Prize-winning scientist that our brain is literally wired for love. But literally what that means is that we don't have structures in our brain for despair, for anxiety, for depression. So what are they? What happens in the brain when you have those? Well, they still physically build in the brain, but they're built in as distort. Proteins and things like that, which we can discuss in a minute. But what we have, what we also have—that's wired for love. We don't have anything in our brain for anything that's toxic. So when we put something toxic in our brain, which is responses, and I'm not—I'm not making anyone, I'm not trying to make anyone blame anyone. This is not about blame. This is all about understanding. Because very often we will respond in a toxic way purely as survival. If someone is raped, they're going to have a toxic response. It's a toxic experience. They're going to build a toxic thought, and you've seen these before. My little toxic trees, which look like thoughts, versus healthy trees. Okay. So if someone is raped, there's a there's a response. If someone loses someone in COVID, it's a traumatic experience. It's a trauma. So that's a coping mechanism, but it's not. You can't keep it. It's an initial coping mechanism that's not sustainable because your brain is wired for love. Your body is is follows the pursuit of the brain and our mind. Which is actually this external force that makes the brain work. It's um, and I'll, I can also expand that in a bit, a bit, in a moment in a bit more detail. I just want to stick with one topic. The mind is, has an optimism bias, so we, we we want to survive. That's our most natural instinct. And anyone who's suicidal, they don't really want to die. They just want to be away from all this toxicity. Their mind is driving them crazy because of life circumstances, and they just it's just too much to deal with all of this stuff going on. And that goes to your question as well. How do we Get all this stuff under control. So when I've worked with people that are suicidal and people that are in extreme states of trauma, extreme states of distress, really, and it could be from any, it could be from a learning disability, a child in a class who can't learn and they're so traumatized because they feel they've been so, you know, identified as. This and that, and behavioural issues, and so on. So we're, we're just down to have not having a a great business environment, or bullying boss, or argumentative relationship, or whatever. Whatever, just life, toxic words, dealing with all those things. We we need to get it. We we need to mind management comes down to how do I get this thinking, feeling, choosing going. So what I have to understand in mind is this wide full love concept. And this optimism bias, this survival, this need for survival. And if I understand that, and all that means is that I am going to be drawn to the negative to fix it. So when we talk in, inside, a lot of the current media talks about that we've got a negativity bias. We pay more attention to the negative. It draws us in. We don't draw it in because we've got a bias. We draw it in because we're trying to fix what's wrong. It's such an imbalance. It creates such an imbalance in our psyche, in our mind, the levels of our mind, in our brain. It creates inflammation in the brain. It creates a complete disruption of all the different types of, wave, types of waves that we can use gamma, delta, theta, alpha, beta, gamma, and so on, that we want to restabilize. So we go to to the negative to fix, we go to the negative to fix, and in in going to the negative to fix, we're using our mind, we're thinking and feeling and choosing about that, and that has to be done in community. You you can't do this alone. This is there's an alone X element where we've got to manage our mind, but then we are better. It's not about you. It's about you in the world. So that's another aspect, the community. So. The good news, the hope is that we can learn to manage mind as a skill. We should be teaching our kids from young. You've got a one and a four-year-old. You can already teach a one-year-old. My youngest patient was a one-year-old, and I started teaching mind management 25. for 25 years I practiced, and I had patients from the age of one all the way through to 80. I think my oldest was 82. So mind management is a skill. Like we learn to eat properly, like we learn to go to the gym and exercise our muscles or become an athlete, those concepts are easy to understand. Understand. We don't apply those to mind. So, what I'm proposing is let's treat mind in the same way that we treat body in terms of developing skill and how it takes time. So, the good news is that if you add a 20% lack of mind management. No problem. You can get to an 80%. And you can get to, and you'll get, and you'll move between, eventually we'll move between a 70% and 100%, which means that life still hits you. You still have the acute traumas. You still have the stuff happening. But the difference is that you can collect yourself quicker because you know how to do it. So in, sorry, go ahead. I can give an example quickly of that if you want. Yeah. You I, want I, to ask I, me first.
0: Yeah, so, so I, you know, there, there's so much to unpack there again. That's brilliant. <laughs> but so I, I'm thinking about it this way. So you've got your acute trauma, Uh, And I'll put that in one bucket. And then in the other bucket, I I like the metaphor of the gym and working out and exercising your mental muscles. Because I do think it's important to note that you're building resilience, you're building your mental fitness, if you will, so that you can be better equipped to handle, I'll say the bigger T, the bigger trauma, because you're building that. Exactly. And I also, what I think is happening, and I'm curious your take, like big trauma happens, unfortunately, it's part of life. And I, I also think that there, there's another epidemic where we're not exercising those muscles at all. Mm-hmm. And what we think is little trauma really isn't little trauma, not to belittle, like th- there's just everyday Absolutely. challenges and frustrations mm-hmm and it it snowballs and then we have a lot of people who are just always assuming negative intent instead of positive intent or maybe have developed toxic thoughts a little bit more quickly (laughs) and so how how do you think about that where we we become i love this thinking feeling choosing i I would love like a, a real world. Example of something that really isn't traumatic. I'll make something. Up. Maybe your delivery guy is is super late, or, or something that's not catastrophic. Yes. Or but annoying and and, <laughs> and like how, how could how should we go through with thinking, feeling, and choosing so that we don't let the, the little t, the little trauma, if you will, spiral and we start to weaken how, how do we use these little traumas to strengthen our mental fitness
1: well you've really hit the nail on the head there because it's the little bit every day that works so, so we know going to the gym each day you can ex- increase your pace and that kind of stuff so based on that mind is malleable brain is malleable malleable means changeable so those are these facts we've already established your brain's always changing your mind's always changing so you may as well control how it does. How does it change? The way you think, feel, and choose, that's what changes your brain. So how do you, so what we got to do in the little things is we've got to draw on our inner wisdom. So, and that's, this is not some woo-woo philosophy thing. This is hardcore science. That's why I said that we wide wired for love. We've got this optimism bias, so there's, there's a science behind, at the core of who we are, we kind of just know what to do that's right. And it develops, as we develop and mature and go through life, it's very organic and so on. But we, even a young kid, the, the, even a young Young child, there's studies done where they'll instinctively know what the right thing to do is to help another child and that kind of thing. So these studies done from very young, from infancy, showing that we have an inner core of wisdom. So that inner core of wisdom is this perfect thing, feel, choose thing. So all of us as humans, if you're a human and you're alive, you have an inner think, feel, choose, mind thing that's, that works. The problem is that the mental mess, literally, we've got to clean it, the mental mess literally kind of blocks that up. So what we do with the little daily stuff that you've just described, that the delivery man coming late or having a, a little argument on the way to somewhere that may not be major, but it's enough to disrupt your your sense of peace. And now you've got a smile in front of an audience or something like that. I mean, we've all had that experience with, with working from home where you're working from home. Unfortunately, I've got an office built onto my home so I can go out of the home, but you have little tiffs or whatever or well, things happen and now you've got to collect yourself and go in front of thousands of people or whatever the case may be. Those are all wonderful little ways to practice for the big stuff. So how would you do that? So let's say that you your delivery man comes late
0: or you have or, a little or argument. a four year old was just screaming all morning after and we none of us slept well last night. That's a real world example for us. That, there's a real okay, so there's a, there we go. So
1: excellent example. So now how do you hold it together? To do interviews all day or whatever it is that you're doing, and you're trying to venture the kid gets to sleep, but now the child gets to sleep, but now you are exhausted. So you've got to collect yourself. So the thing there is to go through to, to go through the five steps. So the neurocycle is the five steps of mind management. It doesn't replace therapy, it doesn't replace any kind of technique. Everything that you do, everything in the wellness industry, everything in therapy, all the different techniques, you can use within this. So see the neurocycle as the first step in making your mind and brain work so that all the other stuff will work, so that you will do the things you're supposed to be doing. So the simple world example there, life in your case, would be then to gather awareness. So the first step, and these words are very specifically chosen and have a huge amount of science behind them. So the like, – Every step is making the brain, the different waves of the brain work together properly and bringing coherence between the two sides of the brain and bringing oxygen to the front of the brain and little things, lots of things. So I'll throw in the odd little thing as I explain it about what's happening in your brain so it makes it more digestible. So the first thing that you would do is gather awareness of what you're feeling physically and emotionally. So you know that you haven't slept, your child's just like driven you crazy for the night, you love him to bits but you, there's that conflict, whatever but still you've got to like go to sleep so I can actually function. So you gather awareness of that. You gather awareness of your emotions and the emotions will be I'm exhausted, irritated, guilty, I shouldn't be feeling like this poor child, I chose, there's the whole gather awareness of them, so it's not just a matter of um, pushing them down. And because we, as parents, listen, I'm a parent. I know guilt overrides me, kind of. Okay, I've just got to do this. I've just got to be perfect. I chose to have the child, so I must. And then that kind of drives you, and then you feel even worse because you can keep going for a while. So you don't want to do that. What you want to do is pull those warning signals up. So, like a tree, let's say that this is a toxic tree, as it is. And it's exuding the sulfurous smell versus this healthy tree, is smell. you can smell lavender. Okay, so the smell that you can smell, and I'm using analogies to make it simple, are the warning signals. So you gather awareness of the smell, which is your f- emotional, what is my emotional, and you verbalize it either out loud or in your head because you can do this quickly. You can do this in five seconds. It's going to take me a little longer to explain it, but you can do this in five seconds, a minute, two minutes, and you can do this all day long. I do this all day long. So quickly, what am I feeling? So instead of pushing down, I get it up. Neuroscience shows that the minute I bring it up, it's weakened. I've weakened every single bond because as you experience the night of not sleeping or the argument or the delivery man you've actually built it into your brain you can't avoid that as a human whatever you experience gets built into your brain it gets transformed by your mind your think feel choose and it becomes part of your neural circuitry so you want to transform that neural circuitry or it will accumulate and become more and more toxic so you want to catch it so it's in your brain and it's generating energy so you're going to tune in to the energy and this is not weird either this is and the energy is the warning signals we talking about einstein's work now we're talking about the photons that we emit from um, our body we're talking about the electromagnetic fields that we study in electromagnetics and quantum physics that's what i'm talking about now but those have color they have psychology attached to them and that is my emotional my emotions as i've just described and also physical what am i feeling physically i'm feeling exhausted my body's tired my eyes are blurry whatever what i've got a headache whatever it is as you say it science shows us that as you Gather awareness, gather. You are going to make it more malleable, more changeable. We, you shift the power balance, you get control over it versus just kind of sort of acknowledging and then shoving it back down and forcing yourself to carry on. You embrace it. This is an, here, here's what this, here's an, another analogy. If there's a huge apple tree and you go apple picking and this one apple tree is full of apples, it's like so full of apples, you just have to do this and this cascade of apples will land on your head. We can either do that or we can say, okay, there's the full apple tree. I'm going to go up really carefully and I'm going to pick the apple, gather it into my basket. I'm going to pick that apple. So can you see the difference? One, I'm being controlled. The other, I'm controlling. When you gather awareness, I am picking the apples. I'm not just going boom, and letting it all fall on my head. So I recognize, I feel like everything's falling on my head, the apple trees, everything I'm under the apple tree, but no, I can stand back, stop the apples falling, push the apples back, because you've got power, you've got superpowers, and I can say I'm going to control. So that's gather awareness. As soon as you've done that, you will already have created a sense, your heart will have released, for example, an atrial nutritive factor, which is a hormone that gives you a sense of peace. You would have released a wave in your form in your brain that's always flowing, but you would have increased the spurt of it to the front of your brain called theta. Theta is a healing wave. So now the theta wave is flowing across your brain just by that gathering awareness which has calmed you down. That then increases your ability to have more blood flow and oxygen to your brain, which then allows the two front parts of your brain to start increasing a little bit in coherence. Because up to this point I can guarantee if you're tired and your child has done this, or the delivery man's out there, you just had the argument, there's a lack of coherence, there's very low theta, there's very low alpha. There's a tsunami going on in your brain, either a tsunami or flatline. We're going to be one of the extremes. That, that it can cause. You can either be in a state of extreme sort of feeling flattened, depressed or completely anxious or somewhere in between. But either of those is going to create disruption. So gathering awareness in this embracing way, like you embrace your kids, you embrace your wife, you want to embrace the stuff. Research coming out of Japan and Tokyo, uh, J- J- the University of, of, of Tokyo and Texas confirmed research that I've actually wrote about in this book, that's in the first half of this book, showing that if I view my issues that I'm feeling now, not as a threat or something that I have to control. But as something that is giving me information about how I am at the moment, it completely shifts the neurophysiology. So now 1400 neurophysiological responses are starting, not fully, starting to work for me in my brain and my body. Now I'm starting to take that stress response that is putting me into a potential toxic state because I'm exhausted and how am I going to keep to get through the day? Now changing that and I've got them working for me. One simple example would be just by gathering awareness, picking the apple off the tree instead of the apples hitting you on the head, you've taken the blood vessels around your heart, would have dilated, and you've pushed increased blood flow to your front of your brain and increased oxygen. I mean, just those Little things, just by gathering, has changed things. Then you go to the next steps. Do you want to ask me something about that before I give you the next five?
0: No, steps? keep on, keep on going.
1: Okay, so then the next thing is, and you can do that gather in, as I said, one to three seconds, 20 seconds, 20 seconds, because this is, this is the, 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 the life cycle hack in the moment. Then you're going to reflect. So it's very sequential. What we're doing is systematic mind management. So I'm systematically thinking, feeling, and choosing about my warning signals now I'm systematically thinking feeling and choosing sorry before we get to to reflect you're also going to gather awareness of your behaviors so it's emotional warning signals physical warning signals behaviors so what are your behaviors I'm snapping I'm irritable I'm shouting I'm not shouting I'm withdrawing whatever what are your behaviors? I'm feeling out of control. My mind feels crazy. So let me go into this almost alternate state, which is a wise state. So there's now Jason and Jason or Caroline and Caroline. So Jason's not sleeping and Jason who's going to help Jason who didn't sleep. So you go literally go, it's multiple perspective advantage. We can do it. The minute we do this multiple perspective advantage while we pick the apples, while we go through these five steps, we activate massive beautiful activity in the front of the brain lots of firing, a lot of connections happening a lot of gamma waves as well start flowing, so you're just setting yourself up to succeed, that's really what I'm saying so you basically, so you're going to get awareness of emotional, physical in behaviours I'm meaning like how you're talking, what's your body language what's, and then also just your perspective like what is, just get a quick mindset check, perspective check, am I saying okay this is going to be a lousy day, because that mindset is going to then set you up for a lousy day, but if you say okay It could be a lousy day or I am now exhausted. You can go from saying I'm exhausted. It's going to be a lousy day. This is it. The day is shot, which is your perspective, which is now going to cloud everything to, okay, this could be a lousy day. This is irritating. I really do not know how I'm going to get through this, but you know what? I can. It's okay. And that's so there's no, okay, then so you do that and then what the perspective kind of is the tree trunk, then you reflect. So step now consciously I've gathered, now I'm going to reflect. What did I put in my basket? I put these in my basket. I'm feeling this. I'm experiencing this in my body. My whole body's tense. My heart's palpitating, snapping and irritable. And I I think the day is going to be lousy. So now you would, if you had the time, you could write it down because the third step is a right step because your brain genetically writes because you're thinking, feeling, choosing. The choosing, as you think, feel, choose, that cascade causes genetic reaction in the brain, which is why we build these. So what you want to do is something that's happening at 400 billion actions per second on the non-conscious level, you now bring it into consciousness. So writing brings the non-conscious into consciousness to give you control because the biggest thing with all mind work, with with, with being a human, describing, and every humans, no one's exempt from this, is our oh, mind feels often out of control. So this is, I'm giving you the tools to get back in control so that you can then go into mindfulness more effectively, for example, going to eating, whatever, all the things you need to do properly. Okay, so when we when you write, if you're in a rush, if you've got time, you're going to sit down and actually write, and there's a way of writing that is phenomenally powerful, and we'll talk about that in a moment with a longer one. But you don't have time to write because you've now got five seconds and you've got to be in front of the camera. So- You write genetically through visualization, but it's very specific visualization. It is visualizing you doing what you're doing. So you sitting with yourself, almost giving yourself therapy, looking at yourself, looking at your child who couldn't sleep, looking at who you are and how you're reacting at the moment. So it's that visualization and it's kind of riding it on your brain. you bring it up like a little movie. So play like a very specific movie in your mind. Just quick, let it flash through the whole incident, flash through. And then you say, okay, looking at the movie, you go to step four and say, okay, well, I don't want a lousy day. I do want to do my work properly. I do love my kids, but they are irritating when they don't sleep, but that's okay. I don't have to feel guilty. In other words, you recheck, you reconceptualize, you deconstruct and reconstruct and you give yourself permission to feel that and say, okay, so now, footstep, what can I do? Right. They're finally sleeping. If they're not, um, they're going to have to Go into that room, so I can go into that room to do. So you get some action. What am I going to do? I'm going to hold myself together. I can sleep later on. I can get through this. My brain is so resilient because. And and the truth is that if we haven't slept, we actually can keep going because when we do get our sleep, we'll sleep deeper. We've got to stop this fear of I didn't sleep. My mind is falling apart. I can't cope. No, you can go hours without sleep. You seriously can, and and cope with what you need to do because telling yourself that if that oh, I can't sleep is going to make you worse off. But saying it's okay, I can do this, I can get through this. I will sleep later on this afternoon, I'll take a nap, I'll catch up, I'll restore. And research shows that with that attitude, you will restore that sleep. We've been frightened out of our minds about sleep and we've got to stop that too. So i always try and help people calm down about sleep. Anyway, so there's a quick example of of how the five steps work in that.
0: I love it, I love it. And I'm going to generalize, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway. When we think about mind management... Does it really come down to we've got the past and dwelling in the past? We've got the present and being present. I think we all know what that means. And then there's the future. And is it about essentially managing where we take our mind? Are we dwelling in the past? Are we really being present? Or are we anxious about the future? Is it really the time? time it? In- Yeah, like, is it really about how much of, in your expertise, how much of our mental fitness evolves in that that mindset and spending the appropriate amount of headspace might in the present versus the past or the future? Like, what what should that pie look like? Is it 33%, 33%, 34%? Or just, how do you think about that? Or am I just barking up the wrong tree?
1: No, you've asked an outstanding question, one of my favorite questions to answer, because it's a question that will really facilitate and help people a lot. So here's... The simple version of that: you spend a half to three quarters of your day time traveling. So your mind time travels. So what I've just said is that we spend between thirty half to three quarters of our day in our minds time traveling between the past, present, and the future. We can We we actually never go out of the past, present and the future. In our non-conscious mind, and I know that's one of the areas you wanted to hit because I talk about the different levels of mind. The non-conscious mind is the biggest part of us. It's the 24 seven, constantly quantum, never ending part of us that we're all our memories. It's like this massive forest that just never ends. And every forest is filled. And when I say forest, because it's made of trees and trees are what thoughts look like. So it's just a great analogy, it's gravitational fields, but in terms of an analogy, think of an endless forest. So in that endless forest, we have memories and no memories ever just rooted in the present. Every the minute it happens, it's already in the past. The minute it happens, it's already impacted our future. You can go into the future to change the past in your non-conscious mind. So we're talking about going beyond space and time. You operate half to three quarters of your day beyond space and time. So when we're in a consciously deliberate state of mindfulness meditation, so when you go into a meditative state where you are focusing just on how does my body feel now, what are my thoughts now in a non-judgmental way, which is so, so popular at the moment, has been for a long time. and is very good but also very dangerous if not managed properly. When we force ourselves to do that for a certain amount of time, it's excellent, but you won't stay there because the minute you're in that, your mind is designed to time travel, to move, to make sense of the present in the past and the future. So the exercise, the deliberate exercise of trying to stay in the now for a few moments is a very good practice to develop mind, but you won't be able to stay there and you can't stay there to solve. It's not the solution to managing chaos because it'll just calm you down for a few seconds, but it's only part of the process because we are always shifting between the present, past and future gives us context. So what we need to understand is context. You, you have a narrative, you have a story, you are where you are now in this moment responding in this moment because of everything else about you every context, every memory and yes you may not be aware of all the trillions of memories that have contributed to the now moment but you'll be aware of six or seven because that's kind of what's moving up into the conscious mind through the non-conscious, through the subconscious from the, the non-conscious but the non-conscious mind is this huge collective of all these different trees. And if you visualize this forest and you visualize through the middle, there's a strip of very dark, beautiful, exquisitely perfect green trees. But on the outside are lighter green trees, also beautiful, but not as perfect as the middle trees. And in between those is a bunch of these little toxic looking ones. Some are really dark, some are big, some are small. That's kind of a representation of our mind. And it's constantly in flux. There's this movement and wind, and but the strip through the middle is this internal wind wise mind, wide for love, optimism, bias that I keep saying that we need to dig into. And it takes us time to to get to the point of where we train ourselves to access that. And these five steps train you how to get to that wisdom mind so that you can put the present past and future in context. Because as you experience something, you will draw up a memory. Every memory you draw up is never just bound in the present. If I draw this up, this is a thought And here we must distinguish between a thought and a memory because we use them interchangeably and they shouldn't be. A thought is the whole concept. So this is the child not sleeping. This is the sexual trauma. This is the COVID death that you've experienced or whatever or sickness. But can you see that this has got lots of branches? The branches are the memories, but every tree has roots an extensive root system. So the root system is the the initial experience memories. So we have memories and there's Could be hundreds, and that the the repeated trauma, the COVID. Here's COVID. There. This has got by now. We've all got millions of roots and branches, but it's COVID. It's the COVID pandemic, and all of us have got a giant tree. And as each new piece of information is adding stuff, so we've got it. We're now starting to get a bit of this because we have a vaccination. So now this is the vaccination for COVID, and the potential hope that things are getting under control. This will then be. Part sort of intertwined, but this will be the dominant one. But this is memories. And the, the roots are the experience as COVID hit, for example, and we started getting more and more bad news. You know, the whole thing in Italy, I, that comes back. I was actually writing one of my chapters when 17 million people had died in Italy kind of thing or some, whatever that number was. So that's the root memory. So as something happens, you grow roots, root. It immediately grows the tree trunk because it produces a perspective, but there may only be three roots. So it's a, t- a little perspective. And then that is the, these are the behavior and emotion memories. So thinking, feeling, and choosing produces thinking, feeling, choosing experience its roots, origin, story, thinking, feeling, choosing perspective, thinking, feeling, choosing emotional and physical data that then produces what we say and what we do. So, as the COVID experience increased and we got more roots, more thicker perspective, we were thinking, Oh my gosh, this is terrible. There's no hope. So, our 18 to 24 year olds that were finishing school and university, their whole life now, what do I even have a life? do I go back to school? What about jobs? There's no jobs. Am I going to die before I'm 25? This is all as each piece of news expanded. So can you see what I'm saying, how that kind of works? So we have to as a community, we have to be talking about this stuff. We have to bring collectively together, bring it into perspective, because just in terms of COVID, the research is showing that the older generation, and I kind of fall into that because I'm 57, which is hilarious. I've been in this generation, this world for, I mean, in this field for four, four decades now. But the older generation, studies show in the 50s and onwards are um, able to and even forty-five are able to have we've got more context, we've got more life experience, we've got more, oh I got through other things I can get. You as you are eighteen to twenty five year old, they don't have much of that. So we see that the elderly are getting more depressed from the isolation because they need the contact and they're not so good with technology maybe and they're stuck in a nursing home. The younger know how to interact with the technology, but they don't have the context of hope. So we need to collectively be helping each other, the older and the younger generation. In And that's all mind work. We need to hear the thinking, feeling, choosing of the elderly, whatever. So I'm going off a bit of tangent there, but I'm trying to contextualize it for everyone to understand the time travel, the past, present, future.
0: So with regards, you, you were talking about uh, generational anxiety, if you will, uh, and you have a chapter this in the book, they're not the 18 to 24 year olds, they're a bit older, but you do talk about millennials and anxiety and, and why they're prone to more anxiety. Can you talk about that for a minute?
1: Absolutely. So in the clinical trial that I finished at the beginning of last year, and I mean that, that I've put in simple version in this book, the reason I put the clinical trial in the book was because it's the advanced version of mind management. I'm always doing more science. So I put up the most up-to-date stuff in there. And in a large part of our, um, our Group were millennials, and it was just very interesting to see how their levels of anxiety, they, this whole context thing that I'm talking about, even though they're older than your 18 to 24 year olds, the context and hope for the future that's a time in your life when you are really building your career. You really are actually starting to understand that there is there is future, but the future has got an ending. Whereas when you're 18 to 24 and younger, the death and those kind of things and the future seem like it's untang- not very tangible, but your millennials f- f- can see the future is more tangible. So it's kind of there, but they can't see their way through. So the levels of anxiety we found were extremely high in in millennials to the point where we, at the beginning of our study, some of the millennials that came in had brains and. Their brain health and their DNA health, their body health, was so bad that they had biological ages that were sometimes 30 to 40 years older than their actual age. So they were sitting there as a maybe a 25 to 35-year-old, but their bodies physically were on a level of a sickly 65, 70-year-old. So the minute that you are in that physical state, you are in your your vulnerability to any kind of cardiovascular, immune, neurological, you name it disease has increased by a factor of seventy-five to ninety-eight percent, which is insane. And then on top of it, we find that a lot of millennials are on psychotropic medications. And I'm not generalizing here. It's not fair to generalize. But there's a large proportion that have um, have come through an era that has said, hey, and here's I'm going to explain this as clearly as I can. We have come through an era, and we're still unfortunately in it. Hopefully, it's going to come into an end where people's narratives have not been really considered. So from the, about the mid-80s, we started seeing this shift towards, oh, you're depressed. Let's look at your symptom checklist. DSM and let's give you a diagnosis, a label, and let's treat the symptoms. What about the person's story? So here we've got a millennial X millennial Y both have got symptoms of anxiety. Both have been labeled with an anxiety disorder which are classic cases of what I had in my, my experiment my control group and my experimental group. So they both so both now are identifying as I am clinically, I have clinical anxiety, I am clinically depressed. They have labeled, we saw immediately that dropped the energy in the front of the brain. When your energy drops in the front of your brain, you have less blood flow, less oxygen. You can literally get little holes in your brain in in, in dysfunction and then those brain waves don't flow like they should. So your cognitive flexibility, your ability to introspect and access the forest, that deep dark forest, the depths of your non-conscious mind, which we need to access in order to make sense of life, starts going away. And so what we saw, what we see happening with this generation of millennials is this move away from this move to labeling instead of saying, hey, I see you battling. What's going on? Tell me your story, which is how I was trained as a therapist in my training was that we as a team, we never just looked at the symptoms. Those were secondary, those were there, we looked at the person's story. So unless you look at the whole person narrative, you're going to sit with a situation where you remove context and when context is removed, you have a problem. A label may give you a temporary set of a temporary relief, with, oh that's why I do what I do but it's got no information to it, there's no data so that's why it's, it's empty, it's not sustainable. So we saw such a lot of anxiety in our millennials where they had like literally red brains and these subjects not only went through this but they also did DNA testing and a ton of blood testing and a ton of psychological Testing and and the most important was their narrative. Who are you? Tell us your story. What are you going through? Well, what we found in my research, Jason, was that we had a control group and an experimental group, and we did very high standard research. It was random controlled study, very high end statistics, and so on to make sure that there were no biases. And what we found was that our millennials at the beginning of the at the beginning of the study, not uh, they were their brain, they were extremely anxious. So we picked this up by looking at using a QEEG blood work, narrative psychology, all that kind of thing. But in the QEEG you get something called a head map. So if you just visualize a little circle and or visualize a, a brain, like you can visualize a, a, a brain, what we looked at is the different types of frequencies in the brain which tell us a story and the way that they work together tell us a story. So you get theta, delta, alpha, beta, gamma, high beta and gamma. And they've all got to flow like waves in the sea. So like if you think of waves in a sea, the deepest part of the sea, the waves are huge and then they get a little bit smaller and then eventually you get a, a a wave forming a crest and it crashes on the beach. So the little waves on the beach are gamma, the crest is high beta, the building up of the wave is beta, and then the slightly bigger wave is theta and the deepest wave is beta. We want, we want a nice cycle happening. And with mind management, we saw our experimental subjects go from either very low energy which is a we would see that as blue in the brain where it was completely flat line to a normal wave pattern and we see that as gray and greens in the brain with these these different the qeg the um, anxiety we see as a lot of red in the brain a lot of red spots across the different parts of the brain so especially like through the middle of the brain and the side of the brain so above your ears above your eyebrows through the middle of your head our millennial subject that was in the one of our some of our millennial subjects that were in the control group that didn't get the mind management, their brains were already a lot of red. And the reds shows that there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of like things that shouldn't be doing were happening. The wave forms were just not doing what they should be doing. And by the middle of, by day 21, because we did this research over nine weeks, because nine weeks is the time it takes. I wanted to do, see how long it takes to form a habit. And we saw habits don't form in three weeks, they form in, 20, in nine weeks. It takes three weeks to get what we call gamma peaks in the brain, which means that we get changes. We can shift this into this format. We can reconceptualize it so we can take the toxic and rebuild it. But in order to make this um, strong enough to to impact behavior change, we need another 42 days. So we had at various different points in the research at day day one, day 21, day 63, and, and then points in between where we did all this testing. And the testing was all this brain stuff and blood stuff and DNA, but also a lot of psychological and also looking at the person's narrative. So having all this information are subjects in both the experimental and the control group we were all very aware of their issues, very aware. The control group were not given any mind map. They weren't given the neurocycle, but the experimental group were given the neurocycle. So long story short is the experimental group, specifically the millennials, their red brains got worse. They started off with a red brain. Their awareness increased. They had, they had increasing insight into what was going on, but they kept pushing it down. They kept suppressing. They were ruminating. They were overgeneralizing. They were getting chaotic in their mind. So by the end of nine weeks, their brain was a mess. Their high beta, they had a red brain our experimental group, we had some that had that pattern in the beginning, a red brain. By the end of the nine weeks, the brain had stabilized and we saw a green brain, a gray and green brain, which is what we want to see. It means that the waveform is doing what it should do, like the waves are described on the beach. And some of our subjects they had were completely depressed, clinically depressed, completely out of it, wanting to commit suicide Giving up with life and totally flat blue brain at the beginning of the study, which means very low, like a flat line in the sea. And once they had mind management, the brain had gone grey within three weeks, and which means that the waves were flowing properly. And by t- t- at six to nine weeks, it was sustainable. So the point being here is that with mind management, we have scientific evidence of that mind-brain connection. That it's you may not feel it, and this is really key. You may not feel the changes happening in you as you're doing. Therapy or mind management at first, but the research shows that your non conscious mind and your body know before you do. So the changes will happen in your brain and your non conscious mind, which is that biggest part of your mind, which operates twenty four seven, will know before your conscious mind is only awake when you're awake and it's only a very small portion of who you are. And the subconscious mind is the bridge between the two. So if we know that there's evidence, it can help us to monitor our mind. Does
0: that is that Yeah, clear yeah. Out? Yeah. And I'll close with my last question. I'm going to zoom out, it's a big question. Look, I, I think we're all searching for, for happiness. In your expertise, what really drives how happy we are?
1: Such a such an important question, and it's one I get asked so much, and I write so many articles about happiness. Happiness, we've got to define as I, def- re- I for me, and the work I do, I've redefined happiness as a sense of peace and trying to get away from the toxic positivity of our current pop culture of and also the damage that positive psychology has done, positive psychology has done a lot of good, but there's also been a little bit of misinterpretation, a little bit of damage that we've got to, that happiness is something that we've got to get from the outside and bring in. But it comes from a sense of internal peace. And internal peace means I know who I am and I accept who I am. So I have found that helping over the years in clinical practice and then just reaching millions now through my platform is finding happiness starts with managing your mind. It's always going to start there because it's your mind that's drives your happiness. Managing your mind in terms of actually searching out and doing neuro around why, what is happiness? Why do I feel happy? Why don't I feel happy? When I do feel happy, what's making me happy? So doing a series of neuro cycles that I feel unhappy now, going through the five steps to find out why you feel unhappy. I feel happy now. Do a neuro cycle to find out why you feel happy. And in, in doing that process repeatedly over, I can guarantee within nine weeks, you would have worked out the elements of how you can gain internal an inter, internal sense of peace because you will actually start getting a perspective on what happens happiness really looks like in your life and you will see at the end of that nine weeks that it's linked to internal peace and that it's not a formula it's not something that you can say this will work for everyone else it's your formula you have to find your code for happiness so that's the rats what I would do with my patients and that's what I recommend people do now go through a little nine weeks of neurocycling but catch yourself oh I'm happy now I feel so great quickly do it even takes you two minutes, or maybe you're really unhappy and it's like going on for ages. It might take you, you might have to do longer, 45 minutes or whatever. But over nine weeks, you will work out your sense of internal peace.
0: So, my my real last question, and I'm looking for, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, it's going to be a multiple choice. Okay. How much, on a percentage basis, how much does quote unquote success? play a role on our happiness is it 25 percent 50 percent 75 percent or 100 percent
1: well, if you define success as external, it will be, you'll never achieve it. So it will just, but if you define it as, that, as linked to that internal sense of peace, that this is who I am, this is what I can do, this is what I can't do, and I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with feeling depressed sometimes, and I'm okay with anxious sometimes, and I'm okay with of with failing. I'm okay with seeing failure not as terrible, but as a, as a lesson. So if you can shift your mindset into possibilities and expectancy, then you can actually increase then your success percentage will increase to 100% because you are literally in a phase where you accept that it's an organic process of growing and it's defined by you, not by the external world. So it's.
0: And assuming you have like a baseline, a baseline of your hierarchy, your hierarchy of needs are met, like you've got shelter, you've got food, like all those things. Yes. yes.
1: Oh, those would be for sure, yes. absolutely. But, but you've you got
0: that baseline, then it's all bets are off. Then
1: it's so much easier when you've got your baseline, absolutely. Yeah. But even those in with the baseline, they still aren't happy. So happiness is even the richest and the happiest. I just read a study this morning where they showed that it's not necessarily your economic status. What is really important is how you are with yourself and in community and that comes full circle back to it's not about you it's about you in the world and so because people you jason you've interviewed so many people like i have and people that have been through stuff you've interviewed as well like big stuff we've both interviewed and everyone who's gone through some life experience what is the first thing they say i'm doing this to help other people purpose everyone that i purpose this. it's never as it's soon as you have made that that's as soon as you've got that internal sense of happiness and success because you know who you are, you just want to share it with others. And then that then takes it to a whole new level. So that's what they're seeing in these kind of studies too, that it's yes, economics are very important. Racism is terrible. Social constructs have to be changed. We can't keep living in a world like this. But there is something about knowing yourself that and recognizing that you play a mess. There's something you can do that no one else can do. And it's the recognition of that in a, in a giving way, a paid forward way, that really creates that that um, environment for positive happiness and change and success
0: amen we'll close there caroline thank you so much congrats on the the book cleaning up your mental mess Uh, a, a very dense must read on all things mental health mental resilience now's the time guys 2021 let's do it thank you
1: thank you